that's Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest, as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're standing before you. We believe in truth, God, in your presence. Based on the promises of your word where two or more are gathered in your name, you are there in the midst of them. And we just want to declare to you, God, as a community, as a church, that Jesus, you are why we are here. We are here for you. We are here to worship you. We are here to hear from you. We are here to experience your work in our lives. So we pray, God, that you would have your way. We open up our hearts to you. We pray that you would give us ears, attentive ears, to not what Andrew has to say, but God, what your spirit wants to say to us. And we pray that that would be true, that your spirit would speak. We're ready to hear from you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if, and I hope, you're taking notes this morning, and if you are, uh, the title of the sermon this morning is Communication Transformation. Communication Transformation. So for the past six weeks, we have been studying all of the different ways that the gospel or the good news of the, the message of Jesus Christ, we've been studying all the different ways that that message transforms our lives. Um, that's the basis of where we're at here in Colossians. That's how Paul usually unravels his letters. He begins by simply declaring all that Jesus has done. Before we even tried to lift a finger, before we even try to climb our way to God, Paul would sit us in our seats. And he wouldn't say, don't just sit there, do something. He would say, don't do anything, just sit there. And receive all that Jesus has done. Let it just come over you like a cool breeze. Let it rescue and interrupt your life with the good news that it is of God's love. And then he transitions in chapter 3. And like I said, for the past six weeks here in chapter 3 and 4, we've been looking at how that message transforms every part of us. Now, I want to make it clear that as complicated as religion and faith and even Christianity can be, there's so many different types of expressions of the church. There's so many different even ideas and beliefs about Jesus and following Jesus. And um, amidst all the confusion, let's try to make everything really simple this morning. In other words, this is what Christianity is all about. It is about good news. Don't you love good news When's the last time you got a good piece of good news? And it's usually best when it shows up in the midst of mostly bad news. And it's like, oh, I needed. Have you ever said this? I needed to hear that, right? Good news. In a world of bad news, right, most of our news outlets are not known for being the good news network, you know? It's often depressing and sad and kind of mean news network, right? But good news is what Christianity is all about. Let's, let me say this again. Let me say it this way, too. Not good advice, 
not even about your good behavior. Christianity is not about us at all. It's primarily about a good God who extends our way really good news. That news, as any news would come, comes in the form of a message. It's a message of good news, and that message is called the gospel. Maybe you've heard that word before, gospel music, gospel preaching, okay? Um, And it's kind of an overused, often underdefined word. But when we say gospel, we mean a message about God's love for the world, an announcement of God's love for the world. It's an announcement that we believe the whole world needs to hear. God loves you. That's good news, right? I mean, can anything be greater news than that, that there is a God, he made you, you've fallen away from him, but he loves you? You might have come across this verse once or twice in scripture before. It's called John 3:16, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's It's appropriate that this is a verse that people often hear associated with Christianity because this is what it's all about. Good news. God loves us. Now, the nature of this love and what we've been looking at is this love that God has for you, he has for me, he has for the whole world, though we haven't earned it or deserved it. In fact, we've earned the opposite of it. And despite that, this love that God has for us, the nature of it is that it changes the people who encounter it. Amen? Um, We talked about this idea. It's like you can't get hit by a train and be the same unless you're Iron Man or one of the Avengers, right? Or what's the other guy? Um, No, who's the bad guy? Thanos. I knew we had a nerd in here. Thanks. (laughs) Just kidding. That was kind of Thanos of me. I'm sorry for saying that. Um, You know, you can't get hit by a train and be the same. Of course not. Now, how could we imagine that if we could be impacted by Jesus, by his love, that we could ever be the same? If God's love hits you, it hits you like a train. If you really encounter it, and it changes everything about us. And come on, we know this to be true, not just for God's love, but we know this to be true about love in general, okay? Um, That's what love does. Love changes us. And you right now are thinking about some friends you used to have. Keyword, used to have until they fell in love, and it changed them. It changed your relationship with them, and sometimes that changes for the bad. Sometimes it's like, I don't even know you anymore. Sometimes it's like, you're weird now, okay? Love does weird things to people, okay? But sometimes that change is for the good. And the love that we're talking about from God that changes us is a love, listen, that's a really, really, really good kind of changing love. It's the kind of change that we all desperately need. And that's what we've been looking at, how this love transforms our lives. Um, And a little review of that, I want to remind you of some sermons that we've covered here, looking at how this love transforms us, how this good message, this gospel transforms us. We looked at how this love transforms our direction, the direction of our lives, turning our lives heavenward towards things above. We've seen how this gospel, this good news transforms our condition, and it saves us from the penalty, power, and presence of sin in our lives. We've seen how this message of love, it changes, Kyle taught on this a couple weeks ago, it changes our wardrobe. Now, not literally, to where like, oh, is that why he's wearing the same shirt? It's not like a thing like that. Um, is this, this is what they do here? They wear the same clothes? That, no, it's metaphorical to say that in Christ, we have a new way to relate to those around us. We now wear 
the love that's been shown to us. We're clothed in love. We've looked at how this gospel, this good news, it doesn't just change the outside of us, but the thing that God is really looking to change is the health of our hearts, which the Bible says is the source from which all of life and all the issues of life flows. We looked at, again, a couple weeks ago, how this love transforms the way that we live in and under authority. One of the more difficult ones, but certainly not an area that the gospel neglects, transforms that. We looked at last week how the gospel even transforms, maybe something we wouldn't expect it to, but the love of God transforms the way that we all see and approach our work, our vocations. It's almost like there's no area in our lives that are safe from the love of God. God's love comes in like a hurricane, and it just wrecks shop in a good way to rebuild us and restore us in Jesus, the lives that we were created for. And then here, with these verses we just read, we see that the gospel, this good news, it also, as we read, radically transforms, you can write this idea down, that the gospel radically transforms the nature and the content of our speech, of our words. It's used there a couple times, actually, in Colossians. Speech, speaking. Uh, that's why I entitled the message, Communication, Transformation. It's what the gospel does. And as we just read here, as Natalie read us those verses here, we read about how the gospel transforms our communication in three ways. It, it transforms how we communicate with God. The gospel transforms how we communicate about God. And the gospel also transforms how we can communicate like God. So it transforms how we communicate with God. It transforms how we communicate about God. And it transforms how we communicate like God. Let's look at each of these. The first one here is how the gospel transforms the way that we communicate with God. We read it there in verses 2 through 4. Let's look at it again. It says, Continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, Paul says, for which I am also in chains. So Paul writing to this church is calling them, he's charging them to communicate with God. He uses a word that we use a lot for this. It's called prayer. And certainly we should use the words that the Bible uses like prayer, that's what we're talking about, but we should define these words when we use them. We should understand these words, because sometimes these words need a good dusting. They need a good renewal. They need a good redefining, because they can kind of be these catchy, throw-out, Christianese words that we kind of say, and people look on at us, and they go, I don't see your language. I'll pray for thy brother. Have you been washed in the blood? And they're like, I am out of here, Okay. We proclaim the scriptures, but we need to make sure we define the scriptures. We give context. So when we say prayer, we're not just talking about some half-hearted sentiment that we express on social media when a tragedy happens. Or something we say because we don't know what to say when they're pouring out their heart to us and we go, okay, I'll pray for you. Which means hopefully I don't forget what you just told me. The Bible calls us, listen, to a kind of prayer that's not dull, it's not empty, it's full. It's earnest. So Paul is calling us to this kind of prayer that looks like this. Let's define prayer. Prayer is simply communication with God. 
Now, for those of you who are in a relationship, and really all of us, in any relationship, whether it's friendship, whether it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it's your husband and wife for 40 years, we all know that communication is central to the quality of any and every relationship. If you're not sure about this, I would just ask you to think back on the last time you and your wife were trying to figure out where to go eat. Okay? Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't care. You are a liar, okay? <laughs> oh, you don't care. Well, what, would you, well what, what does that mean? Okay, communicate with me. What that really means is I want you to list every restaurant north of Miami and south of Orlando. <laughs> and after maybe a thousand options, I'll pick one. Sorry, I'm a little, uh, that's a little personal for me. Um, <laughs> all Bernie's sisters are like, yep. Um, Communication is central to any relationship, being understood and having understanding, right? Being heard and hearing. In fact, the relationships you probably have the most trouble with are the ones where you're not heard or understood and maybe where you don't hear or understand that well. It's the journey we've been called to experience within marriage, but it has a lot of different facets. Regardless, communication is central to any relationship. So much so that, you know, think about even in your life some of the friends that you've lost touch with. The loss of that relationship can really be defined by the loss of what? Communication. We say things like, we lost touch. We haven't spoken in a while, right? Um, we've kind of translated, the, use, the old expression was long time no see. But the modern version, because of technology, is long time no talk, because there's a lot more communication happening in this day and age. Um, so much so that I recently got reconnected every week, right? There's like another, you know, communication app. In the future, it'll just, it's, you can't, I can only imagine how uh, technologically advanced things are going to continue to get to where we'll be able to communicate faster, more quickly, in more efficient ways. Um, and so I thought I'd experience the full extent of it. You have Instagram, you have FaceTime, but there's now this new app that has become my favorite app. They should pay me for saying this right now, but it's called Marco Polo, okay? And it's like a walking, I don't know why I like, feel so passionate about telling you about it, but I, it means a lot to me. So this Marco Polo app, it's like a, a crossbreed between FaceTime and Instagram, like you can send direct messages and you can look at it real time. I have an old friend named AJ, who a lot of you guys actually know, who I haven't talked to in years, I mean years. And I go on the app the other day and I look down and I get this message from this friend of mine from about six or seven years ago and it's just his face. And he's like, hey Andrew, right? And <laughs> And we've actually, because of technology, we've been able to pick up that conversation kind of where it left off through this great app called Marco Polo. I was actually telling a few of you about that earlier. Um, but that relationship now, actually, this friend AJ that I had, it's actually begun to, well, flourish again because of communication. A lot of times we talk about a relationship with God, and we fail to include the central aspect of that relationship. So a lot, of, a lot of times we use this question, how's your relationship with God? How's it going? And we say things like, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, which if you really break that down, has some things wrong about it, but we won't get into that today. But we say things like, it's a relationship, it's a relationship, when really I think we're failing to understand what that really means. You can say Christianity is a, really, a relationship all day long, but here's the question, do you communicate with God? What's your communication like with God? That's your relationship. So maybe instead of asking the question, how's your relationship with God, Ben? Here's a better question that maybe we can start asking ourselves. How's your communication with God? 
How's that open line? Which Let's stop for a second and let's um, lay a foundation here on prayer to understand this. That as Christians, we believe in a God who communicates. He doesn't hide himself. He is not silent. In fact, in the very opening verses of the Bible, you have this great news about God, and it simply says this. Then God said. He's a communicative God, and he creates human beings in his image, setting us apart to reflect him in a unique way above all creation, and one component of what's called the Imago Dei, the image of God upon humanity, is our unique ability to intelligently communicate. Now, we know that creation itself has its own intelligent ways. Bees communicate, I think, through dance, which is awesome. We should work on that. That would be cool, right? How's it going, you know? Um, I'm such a good dancer, right? Um, we know dogs, your dog will come up to you and he'll communicate when he did something wrong, you know, kind of like that kind of thing. There's certainly the element of communication, but none like the way that God has wired humanity to communicate. And most of all, God put that element inside of us so that we could have a relationship with him. We were created not just to communicate one to another, but human beings were made not just by God, but do you know this? You were made for God. You were made to be in relationship with God. You were made to hear God speak to you and for you to hear and respond and then speak to him. You were made to communicate with God. The danger is instead of communicating with God, we see this from the beginning, we kind of talk amongst ourselves. This is the fall of humanity. And we talk to a serpent. We talk to voices that are untrue, that are false. We talk to the enemies of God. And in doing so, the fall of humanity was in our inability and our neglect of having relationship with God. We wanted our elbow room. And it's called sin. It's the turning away from God. It's the running away or pushing away of a relationship with God. And here's what that sin has caused in this world. A lot of problems. And we could look around and spend hours pointing out all those problems. Even maybe that's just happened today. But most of all, where it really comes home is that sin has broken your open line of communication with God. The Bible says it's not that God's arm is too short that it can't save us. It's not even that his ear is too heavy that he can't hear us communicate. It's, Isaiah says, our sin that has separated us from God. It's cut off that broken line of communication. And so the message of the gospel then, that cool breeze that we talked about, it's the good news that Jesus Christ has restored that broken line of communication. Through Jesus Christ, there are no more dropped calls. The Bible says it this way, that we as Christians, we are those who have been reconciled to God, brought back into relationship with God through Jesus. We see Jesus on the cross in many ways bearing our disconnect from God, crying out, God, where are you? Almost like I can't even hear you. It seems on the cross like Jesus is even struggling to communicate with his father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's been said this way. Jesus was rejected on our behalf so that we could be accepted on his behalf. Through Jesus, our open line of communication is restored. So I want to remind you of that today. There is nothing anymore that can break that line of communication. Do you know that? That's why the Bible says this, pray, how often? 
without ceasing. Does that mean, therefore, that I always need to be in some closet and be a monk and never show up to work ever again? What are you doing? I'm praying without ceasing. Where? In my prayer closet. It's like, when's the last time you eat? No, I'm fasting without ceasing, too. I'm about to die, you know? It's like, hold on. The idea even of never stop praying is not that you always have to be in this posture on your knees, not talking to humanity. No, it's to follow Jesus. And everywhere Jesus went, do you notice he always has this open line of communication with the Father, praying without ceasing. In other words, it's like the call is never ended. And a lot of times I think we think wrongly about prayer in that way. Like um, I've even heard it said like in group prayer, there's, I'm sorry if you're new to, to uh, Jesus and Christianity because this might freak you out. But um, there's like Christians are weird sometimes, okay? I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it, all right? We're a little weird. We, do, we create our little weird habits and we do them. People are like, what are they doing? We're like, we don't even know what we're doing. We've just always done it this way. But one of the things that you hear is like in group prayer, you ever heard this expression? I heard this expression one time in a group prayer. Some, we were trying to figure out who opens the prayer and then who closes the prayer, and someone said, hey, I'll dial, who wants to hang up? I remember hearing that, like, I guess I'll just, like, just merge me in on three-way, I guess. I'll... I was like, operator, get me out of here, you know. Um, and we're, we're kind of laughing at that, but did you know that a lot of us actually unintentionally think about prayer that way? Some of us mistake amen for end call. Amen. You know what amen means? Yes, Lord. Amen? amen. Right? It's biblical. 1 Corinthians 14 says, let the house of the Lord say amen. It's something we proclaim. It's not something we do to hang up our call with God because Jesus has restored, again, our open line of communication. And I love the nature of that. Again, it's a relationship. So here's how we understand this as Christians. The Bible is the primary way that God communicates with us. Amen? God speaks. He can speak any way he wants. He has spoken to us most clearly through the person of Jesus. Hebrews says he has spoken in so many ways in time past through our fathers, but in these last days, he's spoken clearly through Jesus. You want to know what God is like? You want to know what God is saying? You want to know what's true about God? Look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Yet God has given us his word. We believe that the Bible is the inspired words of God given to us to know what God has to say. But we also believe that this book is living and active. It's not just dried ink and paper. So we believe this, that God's word is the words that God has spoken, but how many of us believe that God is still speaking through his word? He hasn't left us a book and then beamed off to heaven. He's our ever-present help in our time of need. And so he says to us as we prayed, have ears, this is what he says in his word, have ears to hear what the spirit is saying. First step to hearing God speak to you is having ears to hear. It's listening. God speaks to us through his Word, through the studying of God's word, through the preaching and teaching of God's word, through the reading of God's word, he reveals himself to us. So the Bible is the primary way that God communicates with us, but listen, prayer is the primary way that we communicate with God. Prayer is the primary way, listen, that we respond. So the Bible, God speaks, let's think of it this way. The Bible is this, God speaks, we are called to listen and respond, Right? So I, I joked earlier about taking notes, for example, in church. I, you're not taking notes so that I feel like I'm saying something valuable enough for you to write down so I can pat myself on the back later, like, yes, they wrote it down. I'm, you know, I matter, you know. That, that's not the point of 
why you would take notes. We take notes because we believe this, that God's word is so valuable, I don't want to forget it. And so if I have to write down a grocery list I don't want to forget, who am I to not want to write down what God says to me? His words are valuable. I don't want to forget what God has to say. So we come to church here every Sunday morning not to hear from Andrew, but we pray that we hear from God. And I pray that. God, get me out of the way that your spirit would speak and that we could hear, listen, and respond. And then, listen, we pray. And in that same process, we're praying and we're communicating to God. So here's what's so cool. The Bible, God speaks, we listen and respond. But isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe would stop to listen to what you have to say? That's amazing. Maybe it's not because we don't understand how majestic God is. But the nature of scripture is this idea that God has an ear that's attentive to his people because his people are his children. And like a good father, he's sensitive to their words. He wants to know what they need. So we pray. We speak. And listen to this. God listens. And he responds. That's communication. That's the nature of a relationship. So maybe you need to look at your life right now and go, is there one aspect of that relationship that's missing? Maybe you're really in on and up on reading and studying the Bible, and you hear the words, you study the words, but there's a lack of earnest prayer. And what can happen with that is we become intellectual know-it-alls with really tiny hearts. Because God's word is meant, as we read in Colossians, to dwell in our hearts richly in all wisdom, not in our minds with all pride, right? And so we got to make sure we're praying, especially when we get into the Word. If you spend time reading God's Word alone, I would, here's a simple way to start doing that. Just start, when you open your Bible, you got to know where to start. Start in the Gospel of John and pray this every time. Maybe you give it like a couple weeks of just being consistent. Just say, God, would you speak to me? And have an open heart. And then just keep reading. Just read until something sticks out. And you go, okay, devotions. You can go to work now. I mean, little practices like that. And, and on the other hand, some of us, maybe we're really in on prayer, we're really in on communicating with God, but we need more of a theological underpinning to our prayer so that we can pray according to the will of God, amen? So they, they work hand in hand, and it is, it is key to every and any kind of relationship. Now, here in Colossians 4, Paul is actually speaking to a specific type of prayer, a specific type of prayer a specific type of communicating with God, which we also know this, that in relationships, when it comes to communication, there's a lot of different modes of communication. There's a lot of different things to say and hearts to have as you're saying it. Communication is not just one linear, hey, I need this from you, God. It's a relationship. And in your relationships, communication differs, many different modes. Um, sometimes you communicate what you love. You're just like, I really love Ben and Jerry's. I just love it. It's just my jam, okay? All right? That's where it's at, okay? Uh, others of you go, man, I really love Haagen-Dazs. That's just my thing, the coffee ice cream, okay? Now, it's, it's just an expression. And, and you guys, you do that with your friends. You, you celebrate what you enjoy. And that's, by the way, that's what worship is. When we praise God, you know what we're doing? We're just telling God how awesome he is. And we're experiencing joy in him. Sometimes communication involves what you want, okay? I have uh, two children, under, three children under the age of, age of five. Two of them can communicate, <laughs> And uh, this is their favorite mode of communication, I'll just say that. Um, Dad, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. I'm like, can you just tell me what you love for once? Or maybe that you love me? You know, like, and they do that, they do that, all right? 
But sometimes communication is about what you want. Sometimes it's about what you think. It's a thought you have. What do you think about this? Sometimes communication is, and it should involve in, in your real relationships. In fact, I would say your most um, quality and healthy relationships involve a lot of communication about what you feel, what you're feeling. Did you know that prayer should include what you feel? Not just what you know. Oh, I know this is true. God, I just come to you to pray your word. Jesus didn't pray like that. You read the Psalm book of Israel, the prayers of Israel and the Psalms, you know what it sounds like? Where are you, God? Because I don't feel you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Do you know that you can, you know that God is not intimidated by what you feel? Do you know that you can't hide what you feel from him? He sees all, he knows all. So we come to him with what we feel. And then here, I love the way that Paul is encouraging the church to pray. It's a certain mode of prayer that is a, Expression to God of what we need. We pray to God. We communicate with God. God calls us to communicate with him in accordance to what we need. He actually says, I even know what you need even before you ask. And that doesn't discourage you and go, okay, you'll take care of it. No, he says, no, no, no. Come to me and let me provide for what you need. This is a certain kind of prayer that Paul is talking about here. Um, it's a speaking of a, about a kind of prayer that's a, a prayer of request or of supplication. Um, it's another one of those Christian words, supplication. It means to bring a request to God. It's, you know, growing up, you might have heard of prayer requests. It's saying, God, this is our need. On Friday night, we had a, a point in the night that was probably one of my favorite points at our seek night where um, Kyle Chamberlain, who was up here hosting earlier, he spent some time with the Lord, and he created these prayers that we all recited together, and we entreated was the word. We, we, we begged God, we called out to God, and we were calling upon his favor. That's the kind of prayer that Paul uh, is, is writing about here. Did you see what he said? He says, he talks about earnest prayer, but you notice verse three, he says, praying for us, that what? That God would open to us a door for the word, for which he says, I'm in Chains. Paul is telling the church, hey, you got to communicate with God in a certain way that is seeking him to move and act and respond. And he says, and if I could throw in a little prayer request, there's this thing, okay, I'm in jail. So as you're making your list, just remember, oh yeah, Paul's in jail. Okay, all right, you know. He's like, remember me and pray, request that God would open up a door. In other words, here I am in chains. Here I am stuck. And man has done all that they could to keep God's work from flowing from my life. But God is able. And what's impossible with man is possible with God. So Paul is praying that God would open up a door, a.k.a. pray that I get out of jail. Okay, that's what he's saying, all right? Pray that I can get out of here so I can continue to spread the word of God. I wonder if he's, um, I wonder if he's asking for that prayer request, thinking about his his brother in Christ, Peter. Peter, another disciple, another apostle. And the book of Acts chapter 12 tells us that like Paul, Peter was in prison. He was imprisoned by Herod for preaching the gospel of Jesus. And it actually says this in Acts 12. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison. That's where he was. And it actually tells us too that he was bound with two chains, not the rapper, okay? But he was bound with two chains, that's funny. With, look, between two soldiers. So this is Peter's prison predicament. Not just in a cell, but bound in a cell between two guards, chained. And here's what the Bible says. 
that Peter was kept in prison, but check this out, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. The church prayed, the church sought, the church knocked, and guess what? God opened the door. The Bible tells us this, that as Peter was passed out sleeping, what a thug, he's sleeping with two chains, and it says that now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side. It's like, wake up, Peter, and raised him up saying, arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself, get your clothes on, tie your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him. You know what this is? This is what God does. The Bible says in Revelation that God opens doors that no man can close. It also says that God closes doors that no man can open. And Paul knows this as he's in jail. He knows that God wants the people of God to call out to him. Now, what I love about this idea of Paul is Paul, you know, Paul understood this about prayer. He understood this about God. Paul understood that prayer that is based on the will of God. Remember here, he's not praying for, you know, that God would bring him his new Bentley, you know, his, you know, his new Maserati at the jail cell, okay? Now, well, that's a whole other topic, but here's what I'm trying to say, okay? Paul is saying, I'm praying for God's will to be done. That's what he prays, that the word of God could be advanced. He's praying according to the word and the will of God. And here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that prayer, all in any prayer that is based on the will and the word of God is never a waste of time or words. Let me say that again. Prayer that is based on the word and the will of God, is prayer that is based on that is never, ever a waste of time or words. And a lot of us think that way. Why? Because, well, God already knows what's going to happen. Where do you know that? The Bible. Okay, well, if we're studying the Bible as our barometer for truth, God's word also says in James chapter 5, verse 16, that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You might have heard of the expression, the power of prayer, which should be better explained as the power of God through prayer. Okay, we're not mystics. We don't think that when we do these chants, when we do this prayer, blah, 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 that stuff happens because we did, the, it's God. It's God's people who know they are incapable of doing what only God can do, and so therefore they turn their eyes heavenward. And it's not about, well, God, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna do it? It's God, this is your word. This is what you say. We're coming to you in faith, believing that you're true. We're calling out to you in faith, knowing that there is no door closed that God, you are not able to open. There's no prisoner that you can't set free. There's no loved one that doesn't know you that can't be saved. There's no sin that I struggle with that I can't have the chains released in my life from. There is nothing, the Bible says, listen to this, too hard for God. He has no limits. And so the Bible calls us, Peter calls us to pray in such a way to call out to God with the knowledge. When there's closed doors, Jesus said this. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. This is our confidence. And so what does he tell them? Did you notice verse two? He says, so therefore continue earnestly in prayer. Earnestly in prayer. He says, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So now that we have a theological understanding of the value of prayer, Paul then says, here's how you ought to pray. And he lists two big ideas, okay? First is persistent watchfulness in our prayers. 
But that persistent watchfulness, we'll talk about that, needs to be coupled together with a surrendered thankfulness. How do we pray? How do we request to God? I got you go right now. I got this closed door in my life. What does God's word tell me to do? First thing it tells you to do is to continue to pray. To pray. Persist in prayer. Be, just keep showing up. And with a certain watchfulness. Um, for some of you, your closed door has been something that you've been trying to pry open in the flesh. And I think there's a dichotomy here that God wants us to understand, and that's the difference between prying in the flesh and praying in the Spirit. You're prying in the flesh. You're trying to do what only God can do. We make lousy gods. Trust me, I learn that every day when I try to be him. You ever learn that? Oh, maybe I should just be the child of God and let God be God. So, so there's a difference there between prying in the flesh and praying in the spirit with a persistency. That's according to the will of God. Um, the word there, constant or continued earnesty, it speaks of a devotion, a steadfastness. Uh, it speaks of keep, keep showing up. Well, the door hasn't opened yet. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. Uh, and I love it. With watchfulness, I think that's so huge. A lot of times what we do is we pray and we ask for God to show up, and he does, but we miss it. Because we prayed, we requested, but we weren't watching for the answer. A lot of prayer requests, not enough uh, recorded praise reports. Because we need to be watchful, right? So remember that story I read you about Peter? He gets let out of the prison. The church is praying for him. This is so funny, okay? So Acts 12, Peter gets out of the jail. We read that. The, the, the angel gets him out, and the church that is praying for him, Peter's like, this is so good. I'm going to show them praise report. God did it. And so he shows up at the door of the house where the church is, and he knocks on the door, and this little girl, Rhoda, sees Paul, or Peter, rather, and she's just so overjoyed with excitement, like a child would, that she doesn't let him in. She just goes, Peter! And she just runs away, okay? She's like so overjoyed. So she runs and she goes, Peter's here. Peter's here. And the same church that was just persisting in prayer, because they're not watching, they go, stop it. When you pray, are you waiting for God to answer? Do you have that sort of watchfulness or are you distracted? I used to um, be a part of... This, I was in this program, a lot of, some of you guys know this, most of you guys probably don't, but when I was about 17 years old, I went to a program called Teen Challenge, um, and it was a, a center for uh, self-destructive boys to receive um, redirection, that's what I'll say about it, and uh, it was a um, very significant season of my life. When I was a senior student in Teen Challenge, uh, I'd been there for some time, I got the responsibility to be on Night watch, which hopefully they've changed this by now. But they, what they do is they let you stay up all night, and it's your job to stay up through the night and make sure that nobody runs away. <laughs> and it's hilarious because all sorts of things happen. Like, um, uh, like kids that want to run away will bribe you. They'll say, hey, I'll give you my lunch for the next week if you know, or some, you know, it's like stuff like that, you know, like they'll, they'll do a little, say, I have this in my locker, you can have it if you let me run away, and it's kind of like turning the blind eye thing. Um, I wasn't that shady. <laughs> well, I didn't do that. I was shady, but um, 
my first night of night watch and my last night of night watch, I had discovered this, this drug called Lost. It's a show. And it's addictive. And I just, I was binge watching Lost on DVD back then. There's these discs. And, um, and I'm like, I'm like charging through in one night. I mean, it's like halfway through season two, and the sun's coming up, and I see the people, the staff is coming. Oh, it's like, I kind of show up. How's it going? Yep, secure. Secure the breach, sir. And um, they go back into the back, and a whole band of 10 kids ran away that night. <laughs> um, they snuck out the back door, which I was supposed to be, but I was lost. Okay. Um, a lack of watchfulness um, will lead us to miss the very thing that we are positioned to encounter. A lack of watchfulness being distracted us will lead us to miss the very answer to prayer that we're praying for and to not believe it. So we persist with watchfulness, but I think this is so important. Lest we fall into some false theology, some name it and claim it, word of faith garbage that idolizes what God gives us rather than God himself. Lest we do that, Paul says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, notice, with thanksgiving. So, so here's how we pray. We kind of pray like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Hebrew homies in the Old Testament who were thrown into a fiery furnace for refusing to bow down to a false idol. And before they are thrown into this fire, they are standing before their executors, and here's what they say. They say, our God is able to deliver us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. So this is how we pray. We come before God with open hands, full of faith, even like Joshua to pray things like, God, make the sun stand still. Lord, move that mountain. Open that door like only you can. But as we bring those things to God, we hold them wide open. We trust in God's ability, yet at the, at the same time, listen, we need to make sure that we trust in the faithfulness, in the wisdom, in the character of God. It will lead you to treat God like a vending machine if you don't. Because when you come to him with thankful surrender, what you're saying is, God, I'm just thankful. No matter what you do, I want to believe that you're going to do this. I want to believe that you're going to deliver me from the fire. I want to believe that you're going to open these doors. I want to believe that you're going to get me out of prison. I want to believe that my loved one who's sick, they're going to make it. But even if they don't, I know that you're God and there's no one like you. I know that you know best. So I pray with a heart that's confident in God's ability. Don't lose that. It's, and these, are, these aren't mutually exclusive. These are best friends. I pray with a heart that's confident in God's ability, yet I pray with a heart that's full of the assurance of God's faithfulness. Amen? Communicating to God. And these next two will be a bit quicker. Second point. Write this down. Communication about God. Communication about God. So Paul is saying, pray for the door to be opened. Persist in prayer so that God opens this door so I can get out of jail but he says this, in order, why? So that I might speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. He says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul is um, 
lifting up this prayer request so that God would open up a door for him to spread the gospel. Um, or you could understand it this way, okay? Paul is encouraging that we communicate with God in order that we may communicate about God, which is also a key component of why God answers your prayer request, to give him the glory, right? And so he says, God, uh, he says, church, so pray for me that a door would be open, but that door that's going to be open through you praying, it's so that I can go into all this world as Jesus has commanded us, and he says, to make God known. That's what he says. It's an interesting word he uses. He uses the word manifest, which simply means to reveal or to make known. Um, this was certainly Paul's mission in life, was to make Jesus known. And let me remind you whether or not you're living on this mission, this is God's mission for your life. This is God's mission for my life. To work in our lives in such a way that he comes mightily through our lives so that we can get the word out. We can get the word out about Jesus. We can make known Jesus. I want you to read this here in, in Romans 10. Can you flip there? Look at Romans 10. This is, this is really important for us to see here. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is talking about the need to make known the goodness of who God is to all the world. And he's talking about, for example, his brothers in the nation of Israel. Um, and whatever this, uh, whoever this applies to for you, you can maybe kind of insert them in there when it comes to the, the mission field, the sphere of influence that God has called you to, your family, your neighborhood, your community, your work, okay? But here's what he says in Romans 10, verse 1. Uh, he says, in light of the importance of making God known, he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That's where it starts, right? We have to have a desire for people to come to know Jesus. Like, I did youth ministry for years, and one thing that really, like, I had to wrestle with was a lot of people in youth ministry were always, like, having these conversations about, like, how do we get high school kids to evangelize? And I'm like, you don't. How do you get someone to, to, to share really good news? Well, it's got to be good news to them for it to be good news through them. The problem for a lot of us is the gospel is not good news, it's old news. And we need to pray what David prayed in Psalm 51. Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. We need to read the good news of the gospel like fret, fresh, hot off the press truth every day. Look what Jesus has done for me. When the gospel comes to you as good news, like anything else that's good news in your life, you can't help but sharing it because it's good news. It's not just commanded news. Share this. Okay, um, have you been saved? I gotta, I gotta ask, you got to get saved. Pray this prayer. Good, you're safe. Bye. Okay. No. It's not, the Great Commission is not to make robots of all nations, okay? Okay? Christian droids, they, 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 all behavior. What God looks to do with people is not modify their behavior, but change their hearts. And when he changes their hearts, the behavior follows. When God impacts your heart with the good news of the gospel, you're going to say like, Paul, my heart's desire is for people to know Jesus. I got to get the word out. I got to get this good news out. Now, skip down to the, to the importance of this. He says in verse 13, he says, here's the good news. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news. Some of you guys are here today, and maybe you don't have a relationship with God. You're brought by a friend. You're not really sure about this Christian thing. And your thought is, man, I'm not, I don't really have what it takes to have a relationship with God. And my encouragement to you is this. 
Welcome to the family. Christianity is not whoever earns a relationship with God will be saved. It's this, whoever acknowledges their need and calls out to God, calls out. That's what we're, that's what we're, we're making known. We're making known, not a set of behaviors that people need to conform to, but we're making known the good news that God has made a way through Jesus. We're proclaiming the gospel, and all you have to do is call, call out to God, look to God, and be saved. He's the one that rescues you. He pulls you out. It's been said that the only thing that you need to be saved is need. What do I need? Need. An acknowledgement that, God, I need you, and he will rescue those who call on him. But look at verse 14. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. This is all connected. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So people need to know the good news of the gospel. And then what, what Paul does is he connects it to all the issues that are keeping people from knowing. But as he builds this argument of all the things that kind of the domino effect of why people don't know God, he ends the domino effect with this central truth about being sent, right? If you trace it back, here's why a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't realize that they have been sent. They think a missionary is somebody who relocates to a third world country. A missionary. A missionary is a sent one. We are a sent people. We are a missional community. God brings us in to send us out. So you have been sent, just like Paul, to make known the gospel, to communicate about God. Um, and I love the order here. I think it's so central to make sure that prayer is at the heart of that. Lest we think that we have some ability to save people. We don't. We can't save ourselves. We can't save anyone else. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. Amen? Not eloquence of speech. Not how much you know about theology. Not your wittiness. The hope of salvation is in what Jesus has done. So we proclaim him. We preach him, Paul says. Nothing else. Not ourselves. We preach Jesus, and, and so we, we need to acknowledge that, that we can't save people. It was Charles Spurgeon who said that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. I, I can't soften your heart. I can't determine whether or not the Son of God softens your heart, melts your heart, or hardens your heart. Even the sun, some, some, some elements, they melt. Some soil is fertile for the word. My job is not to till the soil. I can't do that. My job is to sow the seed and pray for God to till the soil. And it's amazing what God does with this. One of my favorite quotes about prayer and evangelism is this guy, E.M. Bounds, who um, said this He's in his book, Power, The Power of Prayer. He says, talking to men for God is a great thing. I want you to think about some people in your life that you want to share God with, make him known. Talking to men for God is a great thing, but look at this. Talking to God for men is greater still. He will never talk well and with real success to men for God who has not learned well how to talk to God for men. AKA, this is where the battle's won. Because then you're just doing your job and you're letting God do his, amen? So that's what we see, communicating about God. It's rooted in prayer. It's rooted in the work that God does. And it's rooted in here, listen. It's rooted in God's spirit. Softening the heart Listen, it's also the work that God's Spirit does in your life. Um, 
One of the key fruits of the Spirit that we see in the book of Acts is not just signs and wonders that we can idolize at times. It's not just um, the spooky, weird, mystic manifestations. There are some really natural, we should say supernatural, but we would look on at them as natural manifestations of the Spirit. One of the most common manifestations of the power of the Spirit in the book of Acts is boldness. A particular boldness to proclaim with confidence the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you, you need a baptism of that. You just need a fresh filling of God's spirit. You have been seeking to be bold in your own strength. And before going to work tomorrow, all you need to do is say, God, empower me by your spirit with boldness. Maybe that, now don't translate that to, I'm going to stand up, you know, in the rec hall or with a megaphone. I'm bold, okay? Remember, you pray for the open door. The idea of boldness is when God opens the door, you're walking with him. When God opens the door, it's great to pray for the open door, but what Paul says is, it's as I ought to speak. That's what he says. The key is when God opens the door, do you walk through it? And you need God's spirit to give you the boldness to do that in order to make him known. And then look at this next thing. I, I love how he says this. He says, so we make the gospel known. And as we close out here in Colossians 4, he says, but also verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time, okay? So first, in verse three, we saw the emphasis of making God known being largely connected to the word that we ought to speak, that the spirit of God emboldens us to proclaim, okay? The word. Um, evangelism is more than just words, though, okay? So Paul goes on to say, make sure your evangelism is not just word. He says, make sure it's also walk, he says, walk in such a way towards those you're evangelizing to. He says, those who are outside that we want to bring into the family of God to know and have a relationship with God, your word, he says, has to match your work or your walk even. Um, it's been said this way, that evangelism is a show-and-tell ministry. Okay? I, I miss show-and-tell. Okay? Maybe one Sunday we'll just do a show-and-tell at Solis Church. Okay? Um, I don't know. You got toys? Let me do. Okay. So, you know, you come up and you got your Hot Wheels track. That'd be cool. But anyway, um, show-and-tell is what evangelism looks like. It's displaying the message of God, and it's proclaiming the message of God. So he encourages to make sure that we're also walking out this message. And this last point he makes is about communication like God. So we got communication with God. We got communication about God. And then lastly here in verse 6, he says that the gospel even transforms our ability to communicate, not just with and about God, but God wants to lead us to be people who communicate even the same way that God does, like him. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Communication like God. So we communicate with God. We have a relationship with him that's centralized on communication, that open mind that Jesus has given us. We, through the power of his spirit in our lives, we pray for open doors, and through the boldness that God gives us, because the gospel is such good news to us, the gospel comes through us, and we are able to communicate about God to those around us with our words and with our lives, show and tell. And then lastly, we see how the gospel leads us to communicate just, just like God. As we said earlier, our God is a communicative God. He's a God who speaks. Um, and if there's one key component of what God's words do. They do many things. But if we could narrow down the way in which God speaks or, or what would it look like for us to communicate like God? Well, how does God communicate? Here's one thing that we see as a consistent theme of how God communicates in Scripture. Every time God speaks,
speaks his word, the result is life. He breathes life into Adam. He speaks life into creation. Jesus said this, my words are spirit and what? And life. His words bring life. And this is interesting because Proverbs tells us this, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Um, You have the ability with your words to build up. And with that same tongue, you have the power to tear down. You have the ability to bring life. And you have the ability to bring, and I, the ability to bring death. That's why James says this, to kind of bring us all into the same uh, place here. He says, for we all stumble in many things. We all got our struggles. We all have our setbacks. We all have the sins we struggle with. But he says this, if anyone doesn't stumble in word, he's a perfect man. AKA, like, whatever your struggle is, we all got them. But if you're someone who goes, listen, I have struggles. But just for me, for some reason, I never say the wrong thing. It's just, I don't know what it is. I guess it's just, you know, God's blessing on my life. And just everything I say is true, except for what you're saying. Okay. Um, In other words, we don't need the reminder that um, our, our words are often sinful and not serving the purposes of God. Um, it, it's, it's why the psalmist prayed this. This is such a great prayer, Psalm 141.3. God, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. It's like a goalie or something to keep the bad stuff out, you know? Set a guard there. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Um, because we know the, the negative power that the tongue can produce, the the destruction that it can bring. But listen, God knows the resurrective and the life-giving power that your tongue can bring. And as God is transforming all of us by his love, you know what he's leading us to do? He's leading us not just to know things about him, but to become like him. And one of the ways he wants us to become more like him as a people is that we would be people who communicate like him. When we speak, we have this sense of mindfulness over what we're saying. That's where it begins. James says it this way. He says, be slow to speak. Recognize that words matter, that they can, they can bring life or they can bring death. And so that petty gossip, that doesn't really matter. You're just sharing about something you heard so that people can pray about it. You're going to be more mindful. Your prayer is going to be the prayer, again, that same prayer of the psalmist, which says this, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. This is what God leads us to be, who God leads to be. This is what God leads us to do, to speak like him, which is how. I love what it says there, with grace. Not law and condemnation and judgment, which, by the way, the law brings death. Grace brings life. You're alive today because of God's grace. And God wants us to be people who speak that same grace. And as I invite the worship team to come up and close this out,